0: Hi, everybody. Andrew Bray here, your sound designer, and introducing your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. Hi, Mom.
1: <laughs> Hi, Andrew. <laughs> we haven't talked in a long time. It's, this is really fun.
0: It's been a while. Although what the folks aren't hearing is our like family hellos that we get before we get to do these Zoom calls. So, so I'm just in a good mood because I just got to check in with you for a little bit. Um, but this is this is one of my favorite things to to basically to, to hand the ball over to you and ask you a little bit about the conversation that you just recently had. So mom, tell me a little bit about why you're excited to share this conversation with Joshua Stamper.
1: Well, Joshua, I call him Josh, um, interviewed me and we had so much fun. And I said, you know, uh, maybe I need to learn more about you now. Cause he was just amazing. So Josh is a middle school assistant principal in North North Texas and um, he's just, gosh, he has gone through so much. Mm -hmm. And he told me about uh, some of the things he's doing about leadership and and his new book called Aspire to Lead. I can't wait to get it. And I just, I'm really excited about learning more uh, and sharing what I learned with, uh, with this wonderful conversation with Josh.
0: I'm loving it. I, and I can't wait for you folks to take a listen. So stay tuned and listen to a conversation with these two fresh esteemed authors, Joshua Stamper and Barbara Bray. <laughs>
1: I'm really happy I get to talk to Josh Stamper. I've been wanting you on my show for so long, and then you had me on your show. Yes. <laughs> it was so wonderful, Josh. I'm so glad you're here.
2: Oh, it's so good to be with you, Barbara. Any time to be with you is a, is a good evening.
1: Oh well, we'll just let, we'll just have to go with that and just have a good evening yes. now. <laughs> I'm gonna tell everyone about you because I I just I'm really impressed with the way you ran your podcast, but I also know a little bit about you, so I want to share that. It's Joshua, but I call you Josh Stamper. You're a middle school administrator in North Texas, and I think you're very passionate about community engagement from what we talked about.
2: Yes, most definitely.
1: Josh provides strategies on trauma-informed practices and how to develop a restorative mindset. Boy, I need that. (laughs) uh you also host the leadership development podcast and created the aspire model and that's going to be the staple of your new book aspire to lead that's coming out pretty soon
2: yeah 2021 and i can't wait for it to drop
1: welcome josh and Hey, let's talk about your book too.
2: Yeah, that'd be awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Before uh, we get into your book and some of the other things, why don't you just give us a short overview of your background?
2: Sure. So I was an art teacher and coach and then turned administrator. I'm in the North Texas area. I've been in an administrator role for eight years now. And then, like you said, I've started a podcast, Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast. I've been doing that for two and a half years. And then I also speak and um, I'm writing a book right now. So I'm just doing all kinds of things.
1: Well, tell us, I'd like to kind of get a little bit about your background, and you're in North Texas. Yeah. Have you always lived there?
2: No, actually, Barbara, <laughs> I, I was born in California. And then when I was 10, my parents moved me to the northern region of Minnesota <laughs> and grew up there and loved every last bit of it. But um, when the recession happened, I was actually a graphic designer. Um, my job went away because the economy. Um, was just so poor. And so I had to quickly reestablish like what I was going to do with my life. And I loved art. I was an art student, got my art degree. I was a graphic designer, like I said, and then um, I love sports and I played soccer all my life. And so, um, talking with my amazing wife, she was like, well, what do you love to do? And I was like, well, I love sports and art. And so she was like, well, if you want to coach it, then you probably need to be in the educational field. And so that's where I landed. I landed as an art teacher and um, as I went through this, I went back to school and went through that process. I was a paraprofessional with special education. And then in the state of Minnesota, you can also coach. So I coached the high school team as I worked with special ed kids. And then at night, I went to classes to get my teaching license. And then when I was able to get my teaching license, there weren't any jobs really available. It was halftime positions, working from a cart, and there wasn't really a whole lot there in Minnesota. So um, my in laws lived in Texas at the time. They were like, you got to come down here. The economy is great. And I was a little hesitant, <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, so I told my wife, I said, if we fly down and get jobs this weekend, you know, we'll, we'll move down there. I didn't really think we'd actually both come away with jobs, but it actually happened. And I was like, oh, yeah. great. I, I promised. <laughs> Let's go. And so, um, yeah, flew down, moved um, to the north Texas area, um, was an art teacher for six years, started coaching about my third year, my third year was kind of when things transitioned because I started to get a look outside of my classroom for the first time and really got to work with kids in all different forms. And my assistant principal, actually, one day while I was in the staff room getting coffee, he tapped me on the shoulder and was like, hey, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but I really think you should look into administration. And I laughed because I didn't, I was like, are you serious? Because I'm just trying to figure out how to teach and I'm just starting to coach. And he he looked at me, was very serious and said, there are other people on this campus that have Principal certificate, but I think you're the best candidate. And that I took that to heart and went again, talked with my amazing wife and said, You know, is this even possible? And within two months, I was in a program. (laughs) So, yeah. When was that? What year was that? Oh, goodness. That was, I have to think about that. 2010,
1: 2011. Oh, yeah. Wow. What? City, are you in in
2: Texas? Yeah, I'm in Frisco, Texas. Um, at the time, I was in Plano, Texas. And um, yeah, I worked at a, a middle school. I've always worked in middle school. And um, at that time, I started going in through that program. It was tough. It was, you know, I was already a coach. So I was gone four nights a week doing mm. different things. So I, I coached football, basketball, and track. And then um, just did online school whenever I possibly could. So it was definitely hard. I didn't get to see the family as much. And then two and a half years later, I got the Dean of Students role um, at a Title I school and was there for a year, um, learned a ton. It was one of the most difficult years in my educational career. And we, we can definitely talk about that too um, later. And then the next year, I got promoted to being an assistant principal. And so I've been assistant principal and now in two different schools in two different districts.
1: Wow. So what's your amazing wife's name?
2: Leslie. <laughs> Leslie, <laughs> yes. Leslie.
1: Do you, and do you have a family? Oh
2: yes, I have five kids, so they're definitely oh, they're definitely a handful. Say that. <laughs> so we, um, yeah, we have two biological and three adopted children, and um, so oh. there's never a dull day in the Stamper household. It's it's a lot of fun.
1: Oh, that's amazing! That's amazing. So you have almost have your own team.
2: Mm. <laughs> definitely, I have a basketball team for sure.
1: <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's wonderful. And so you're now you're at uh, you didn't mention the school but you're in Frisco as yes. a middle school assistant principal that's correct wow that's amazing that's that's a lot of discipline and stuff i worked in middle school <laughs> so I know what it was like
2: yeah there it's it's a lot of fun a lot of energy um, yeah. you know I've worked in different you know the elementary middle and and high school at least for student teaching and in, in middle school i always have gravitated even my coaching i've never Never coached higher than uh, ninth grade, so um, I've always been in that middle school, junior high range. And and I love the amount of growth that you see um, within those mm-hmm. years. I really feel like those are pivotal years in a, in a child's life um, to really find their identity, and and um, you can just see so much growth in such a short period of time. So uh, I definitely gravitate to that age group.
1: Me too. And <laughs> and there, you know, what I love about that age is. They still need you. Oh, yeah. They're like, they want to be tough, but they're still, you know, like babies in yes. a way. They just need you. And and, and I, I just miss them a lot. So mm-hmm. it's good that you still have that. So, you know, you said you were an art teacher yeah. and a coach. I wonder if those skills, being creative, but also knowing uh, how to collaborate and build teamwork and all of that, helped you become a, a principal.
2: Yeah, I know it's not a, a typical combination. I, I usually when I say that people kind of do this side look at me like what are you talking <laughs> about? Um and I don't know a lot of art teachers that have become administrators either. So I know when I started out there was a stigma um not only in, on my campus but on the at the district level um as far really? as Oh yeah. Wow. Um I mean I I had colleagues say things um in regards to that and I had even an in interview process like because you're an art teacher, how do you give, you know, feedback to another teacher while you're in the observation mm. process? So the way that it was worded, it was definitely I had to prove myself um, that I knew how to be a leader in the instructional realm. So definitely a hurdle I had to get over. Um, but to answer your question, yes, I do think that the collaboration, the creativity um, projects, you know, project-based learning. I was, those were things I was already doing in my classroom. So, you know, as things have kind of shifted in the educational world, that hasn't really been anything <laughs> that I haven't done before. And it was something I was kind of pounding my fist on the table already. And, you know, technology use and all these different things that, um, you know, the soft skills that we always talk about that, that was already being done in the, in the art room. That was already being pushed as far as how to, be a learner and how to be a creator, and you know there were some aspects that when I went into a, a just a general <laughs> regular you know math class or English class, those things weren't occurring, and it was killing me inside because I wasn't a very good student growing up, um, and it was because the environment and the way that they taught wasn't conducive to my learning needs. Where I did find that in the art room. So when I went into education, it wasn't because I loved <laughs> school; it was the opposite. It was I want to change school, and so. Um, a lot of the things that I did as an art teacher, and a lot of things I witness as an art student, those are the concepts that I'm trying to instill in other classrooms.
1: I think we did talk about this also in your podcast, but I do need to tell you I've interviewed a lot of administrators that were music teachers. Yes, it's amazing how you know you you look at the arts and you know the idea of being creative and collaborating and be able to. Work as a team, as a coach, too. Yeah. It seems to me like you had the best of both worlds. So, well, I think we're going to probably bring up some of these things and some of the other things we said we might want to talk about. Yeah. But the idea of, because I do a lot of PD, and since I'm not in the classroom anymore, I find that it's really difficult as someone on the, you know, that like building that confidence that I'm here just to support you and say, maybe I'm, you know, I don't know how to do what you're doing, but I do know some things that I could support you with. And I think that's, you've built up that confidence because I know you've been doing this for some time now.
2: Yeah. And I, that was something as a, as a teacher, I wanted to prove to everybody that I could be an instructional leader. And so to do that, I needed the experience. And so I did get into the classrooms and I did ask teachers like, Hey, why did you do this in your classroom? Or what strategy?" Like, why did you do that? So I did. I did lean on my colleagues. Um, I did get data <laughs> and use that data to present to um, the, the district administrators when I went into that interview to say, like, this is what I've done, not what I would do. And so that way, I proved and I had those observations. I had those walkthroughs to say, you know, just because I'm an art teacher doesn't mean that I didn't go into classrooms and I didn't, you know, help my colleagues or learn from my colleagues too. So I think it's important for any aspiring leader, no matter what subject you're talking about, you know, that it, you're, you're going above and beyond and you're getting outside of your classroom to get that experience so that when you come to the table, you can talk about what you've done as a leader.
1: So I'm, I'm looking at the, you know, the focus now that you're working on is trauma-informed practice. And I mean, was there something that you noticed in not only your own classrooms, but in the classrooms that you observed, that you felt like you really had to do research on this and yes, figure out how to support people on that.
2: Well, and it really was bred through failure, Barbara. Um, I was a dean of students um, for a Title One school, and there was a lot of discipline that occurred on that campus. And really, what the answer was at that time was a very traditional model, which was just suspend, 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 and so. It was either in-school suspension or out-of-school suspension. And um, when we were sending students out of the school and back into the neighborhoods and back into apartment complexes, what was happening was we were just sending them back into an environment that was really what was breeding the problem in the first place. And then it would spill back into the campus. And it was just this cycle. It was just this vicious cycle. And what we were doing was we were breaking these relationships with our students and and really sending them away and saying, we don't want you here. And after doing that for a year, it just beat me down to a pulp. And and honestly, I almost walked away from education as a whole and administration because I knew I was not making the school, the campus, the district, education in general better because of my role. Um, and so this was actually at the same time as me and my wife were going through the foster care process. And so I every year we go through the same training and it gets kind of monotonous and and I'll be honest, I wasn't in the best mind frame on this day. But I was like, "Why do I have to be here? I'm already a parent. <laughs> I already have biological kids. Why do I have to be in this class?" And they turned on this video. It was um, from TCU, and it was on trauma based practices and talking about, uh, as far as a parent perspective on how to um, do certain things. So, for instance, like instead of doing a timeout with a child um, in foster care who has experienced trauma in their life, um, a timeout to them is saying again, I. I don't want you go away, you know, um, where they're saying, well, let's do a time in. So that way the the child gets a break, they get to calm down, they get to reset their brain, but they're with you. Right. And you're still establishing that relationship with them. And something so simple like that, I was like, well, how can that translate to the school? So for instance, if a teacher has a child that gives them quote unquote disrespect and you say, go to the office, well, it's the same concept, right? Go to timeout. So where we have now fractured the relationship that has been created. And then that child goes to the office and then they get ISS or detention, whatnot. And then they come back to the classroom. Well, that relationship between the teacher and the student is still broken. That has not been resolved. And so then since we have a fracture (laughs) and it's never been discussed and it's never been restored, then how is that child going to learn from that adult? Because the way we get information to the brain is through the heart. And if that heart is broken, then we can't do anything about that. So that's where the trauma-informed practices came in, um, learning about how trauma affects the body, affects the brain. Um, it changes the DNA. And I didn't believe it until I had you know, foster children in my home and adopted children to see the effects. And not just effects of you know, getting beaten. Um, there's neglect, right? Neglect is the largest trauma in the United States. And it has just as much effect as you know, emotional abuse or uh, physical abuse, as far as to the DNA and the the stress that occurs in a child's brain. So I could talk about this all day, Barbara, but um, that's really. Um, where I'm it just came. writing
1: down. <laughs> you don't even know. You said time in, not a time out, and then how we get information to the brain is through the heart. I'm writing them all down. Going, oh my gosh, <laughs> that is so. You know what the foster process. The way they did that and showing you that video, I bet you it made you even a better parent. For oh my your... gosh, yes! It's yeah. amazing. I now feel so guilty for putting time out with my kids <laughs> all those years. My,
2: <laughs> hey Barbara, I, I trust me. I felt guilty too. I was because not only as a parent, but then I was thinking on the educational side. I'm like, I'm, yeah. I'm failing in so many ways. Um, it was it was oh, a wow. light bulb moment for sure, and. You know, after that moment, I just wanted to learn as much as possible, and, and that's really how I changed, like my whole philosophy and discipline. And then that also kind of um, went into the restorative practices realm too, and that changed everything too, as far as my mindset. And because it was a different practice that restored the harm that was caused by the student, and um, you know, that was the there was a missing piece, right? So we talked about the the fracture and the relation between the student and the teacher, and a lot of times that that doesn't even get touched within the process. So the restorative practices was that that missing link for me as far as a restorative circle with the teacher, the student, and a facilitator being myself, to then talk about what occurred, how the student harmed the classroom, how they harmed, you know, everyone involved. And then what is the the restoration of that? You know, what can the student do to repair? Um, what was harmed, and and giving ownership to the child to say, okay, if it was disrespect, you know, what can you do within this relationship to mend that moving forward, you know, and if they don't have those skills, which that's another thing, is a lot of times we just assume, especially middle school kids, you look old enough to know what you should, right? <laughs> but a lot of these kids, they they haven't been taught that, or they have a model that is opposite of what is supposed to be done, and so we can't assume that these. These children, these students have those skills, so we have to teach them. And that, that does take time, but if it's important, which we all agree is, then why wouldn't we take a little bit of time each day to help those communication skills and those deregulation skills, Those all those things that are going to better them as adults to function in a job setting?
1: I'm just thinking of a regular classroom, because I've heard from some teachers how some of the kids have been really disrespectful. and. They send them out. Yeah. But how do you do it in a regular classroom when you have other kids in the class? How do you stop that cycle in the class?
2: Sure. So we actually implemented a new process for us, which is a counselor administrator comes into the classroom and relieves that teacher. So that teacher and the student can then take a walk with each other and have just a little bit of time. And it really doesn't take that much time. It takes like two to five minutes to kind of just kind of get a restart um, allows the child to have ownership of their emotions, be able to to work through that. And it's kind of a reset, right? For the child and for the teacher. And that way they can really hone in on on what it is. The teacher can model, they can, you know, bring it up. Of course, it's in a a respectful way, of course. And the teacher's, you know, being a a window, not a mirror of (laughs) of the uh, intense uh, communication potentially with the child. But then they come back in the classroom, and then you know the administrator, counselor, co-teacher, whoever it might be, you know, is then um, relieved of their duties, and the teacher can just get right back in place. and And that has dramatically lessened our referral process, and it is only strengthened hmm. our relationship between the teacher and the, and the child.
1: That sounds amazing. Have you actually videotaped some of the process, or talked about it, had interviews of the te- with the teachers and the students after? Or?
2: So yes, um, because we. We did it as a trial basis last year. And then um, Mm -hmm. what I do every year is I have a relationship action team. We call ourselves the rats. um, And it's more for fun than anything else with the rats. But what we do is, because I'm not an expert, you know, I still have room to grow in this. And so, so are my colleagues. Um, So it's really just a learning process of of these different things. And it's a brainstorming of, this is our problem. How can we solve this within the trauma-informed lens that we have created? And then this is, you know, a model that we we created. Um, so we did a trial. We had, you know, like five to 10 teachers do it. It was successful with them. So then we had them speak to the staff about their experience and why they thought it was, you know, something that was um, best practice. And then it, since then, you know, everyone's adopted it.
1: Wow. I wonder, I mean, I can even see teachers taking another teacher's place just to help mm-hmm. you know i mean i can see that it it becomes a a, a team a community yes. where everyone wants support do you are you noticing with the students talking about it or are, are they because this is you you know it's changing you yeah said, but
2: um not not per se because it doesn't it doesn't okay. have to happen, you know. A lot of times, it's just a little conversation that our teachers too can, you know, you just go up to the student and you're just having that one-on-one conversation where, um, you know, it doesn't have to be broadcasted. You know, we're, we're, a major thing that was escalating behavior in our classrooms that we saw is when a student would do something and the teacher would then tell that student or correct that student in front of everyone, which they oh. perceived as being called out. And if they're being called out, then of course the behavior only escalated. So. By alleviating just that little bit, <laughs> that changed the <laughs> dynamics quite a bit too. Um, wow. So I would say that we haven't had to use it as often, just because we're not, you know, we're trying not to call out students or at least their perception of that um, to have those individual conversations. And then I think the students are talking more about the restorative circles. I think that's what they're talking about because those are much more lengthy. Um, so, for instance, like if if two students were to get in a fight. Part of that process afterwards is doing a restorative circle with the two individuals and, and allowing them to talk through it. Because a lot of times in the past, what would happen after a fight would be, you know, oh, I want to stay away, Grimm, and I want them never to talk to the other person again. And it was stay mm-hmm. away, stay away, stay away. And my question has been, well, why? Like, how does that make them better in in areas of conflict? We all have conflict with other people in our lives. We can't mm-hmm. stay away from them. Forever. Like that's just going to isolate us and and break down relationships. And so a lot of times the fights were even good friends. And so why would we change that? That they have that history, they have that relationship already established. So why would we just end it from there? And so a relationship circle allows us to get to the bottom of the why. Why did the fight start? Why did it escalate? Why did it get to the point that it did? What, like who was harmed in that situation? You know, we we really work through it all. And so that takes time. It's it's not an easy process, and it's emotionally draining. Every time I do one, at the end, I'm glad I did it, but I'm just like, oh, <laughs> that was that was emotionally draining for me, um, because there's tears sometimes in the end, and there's mm. you know, um, shaking hands or hugging. I mean, there's there's a true raw emotion at the end. Um, and we looked at the data, and we don't have repeat offenders after those restorative circles. Wow. So you know, we've been doing it now for two and a half years and we we haven't had anyone do the exact same thing for a second time. So that for me shows that we're, we're making progress.
1: Oh, it's beautiful. So that's what you said. Restorative mindset. Yes. It's like the whole, it's, it's beautiful. So did this lead into your podcast? Is that, <laughs> how did that happen?
2: No, that's a completely <laughs> different thing.
1: <laughs> oh, I mean, okay. Then before we go there, then I mean, to me, I'm I miss working in the schools. I love this idea. I'm glad you're writing a book because I definitely am going to push your book out to get make sure. <laughs> <laughs> because this is one of the things that I think teachers are uh, administrators and teachers are saying, What do I do? Yeah. What do I do about this?
2: Yeah. And it's not an easy process and this is years and years of things that, you know, mm-hmm. we've been trial and error and it's messy. You know, education and relationships are messy. And it's exhausting, yeah. but, and it takes a lot of work, but when your focus is where it's supposed to be in, in regards to a relationship and how to make sure that we're, we're continuing to restore that, um, it, it does change the dynamics of the, the process and the procedures. Um, as far as the book goes, I do have a champ, uh, chapter, um, which is talking about empathy as a leader, because a lot of times I think empathy is seen as a weakness and it, it really shouldn't be. Um, Mm -hmm. empathy empathy as a leader to our staff to our community and to our students and so i do talk about um, trauma-informed and and restorative practices within that chapter
1: oh i'm just writing a a blog on empathy right now (laughs) i'll I'll have to talk to you
2: (laughs) me and you simpatico
1: i i tell you i I mean (laughs) it's so easy to talk to you because i really believe in this and 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 relationships are the key Mm -hmm. and if you've lost that it's really hard to get it back Okay, so we're going into the podcast now because I, I had so much fun on your podcast. It was so and fun. And you've have been you. doing it a long time.
2: Yeah, I've been doing it for two and a half years. Um, it, it, it's flown by, really. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, so the podcast came from. I actually was asked as an assistant principal to be a part of creating a cadre for aspiring leaders. And so, me and five other assistant principals built this program. And really, the idea was to pull people from their classrooms and to give them real, raw experiences and to be able to meet district leaders and um, do really what I do on the podcast, right, is to pick people's Mm -hmm. brains and to learn more about their craft. And through that process, we realized that a lot of people didn't feel like they had mentors or other people to really guide them in their leadership journey. And so, we did that for two years and it went really, really well and so well that the district actually took it from us and the the district built their own program from that. And I was just longing to continue to work with aspiring leaders and I didn't have that outlet. And so I put on this one night aspiring leader program. I didn't really have a ton of time to promote it, but I had 175 people come to it from my district. And that night was just like the moment that I realized I needed to do something more because there was Mm -hmm. a lot of people out there um, that were searching and f- searching for information and for guidance on how to be a leader. And so I thought, if this is how many in just one district, what does that look like for like the state of Texas? Or what does that look like for the United States? And now that I've been doing the podcast, it's around the world. And so talking with my good buddy, Todd Nesloni, he was doing the Kids Deserve It podcast at the time. I went down and <laughs> got to witness him in action. I was like, man, you, you make it look so easy. Now no, I now know that it's because he's just brilliant but um, <laughs> he is he's phenomenal. and so he was like, well, you should do a podcast and that was really the turning point for me to realize that I, I have this passion for aspiring leadership and the podcast could be one way to do that and what better way to then bring some phenomenal educators and leaders like yourself onto a podcast and be able to share that out and disseminate it to you know thousands millions of people and so I just want to Help other people and serve it the best I can, um, and so that's what I've done with the podcast.
1: I love doing podcasts because when I talked with you, when you talked with me, you were showcasing me, and I was like, "Wow, I just want to know more about Josh." You know, <laughs> <laughs> and we said, "Well, why don't I, you just come on my show?" Yeah. And you know, but I mean, it's it's I'm finding out so much about people I didn't know. Yes. And the other is it's helping me grow.
2: Yes.
1: It's really helping me grow. I find that one, I feel that it was really easy to talk with you because you're a podcaster. <laughs> 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 because you you have to listen. Yes. You have to listen. It's, and a lot of times people, you know, they don't understand the power of listening and what you can find out.
0: Mm-hmm. It's very true. So
1: I want everyone to listen. To Josh's Leadership Development Podcast mm-hmm. and his Aspire Model. We're going to find out more about that. <laughs> Why don't we do talk about that and yeah. your
2: new book? So yeah, the book wrapped, is wrapped around the word Aspire. And so the Aspire Model is actually just an acronym um, used from that. So each chapter I go through and so Aspire is Activate, Support, Persevere, Identify, Reflect, and Execute. And I use oh. my journey as a art teacher and coach and talk about the many failures (laughs) that I went through as as a young aspiring leader. And um, hopefully people can use that as a guide of the landmines that occur um, on each campus. And of course I do find success and and I I do share that as far as being an uh, administrator. And then I talk about just as an assistant principal, um, just some key things. And so I talk about empathy, like I said, and creativity and passion. And so um, you know, one of the last chapters is on passion projects. And, of course, I talk about the podcast as being my passion mm-hmm. project and um, my outlets to really help other people but also fill my own cup. And I think everyone needs that within their life, something that they can pour into um, that's going to make them better. Um, but also give them that energy to go to their their job every single day.
1: I love the acronym. I mean, I love what it stands for,
2: hmm. especially
1: execute, because I know at the end, they're going to know, what do I do now? Exactly. <laughs> so that's really good. So you're also part of the Teach Better team. I, I mean, what else do you do? You got five <laughs> kids. You got. I mean, I can't believe all you do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the Teach Better team, yes. I just got added on um, in September. And so... Wow. Yeah. Within like a week, I signed the book deal. I was added to the Teach Better team. So um, I actually signed my book contract on my birthday. So it was a uh. really good, really good week.
1: Congratulations. <laughs> That's you. a wonderful birthday present. I
2: know. And, um, Who
1: did you sign with?
2: Match. Edumatch. Match. Yes.
1: Oh, you're kidding.
2: No, no, I knew that. I know you
1: <laughs> I just had to have you say it because <laughs> I love Sarah. Sarah's
2: amazing. Sarah's amazing. <laughs> I am so ex- I'm so excited to be a part of the Edgy Match family, and then um, the Teach Better team. Um, I actually a year ago, shoot, it might have been like a year ago. This week, um, the Teach Better team put on their first conference um, in Akron, Ohio, and so I flew up and was able to speak there. And I did my Aspire podcast on site, and it was such a fun three days. And I guess I did a really good job because right after. Um, Jeff Gargas asked if I could be a part of the teach better speaking, um, group that they have. And so, um, I've been a part of that for a year now. And then, you know, as I've been working with them, um, they built a podcast network of just some phenomenal, um, podcasts we have. Well, we had eight to start with. We just signed four um, this last couple of weeks, we're up to 12. And what mm. we're trying to do is just build a group of podcasts that just touch on every little aspect of education. So no matter what your needs are, you can come to this podcast network and hopefully find something for you. And it's just been a phenomenal experience to be with them. They have just a wonderful group and um, they really are charged just to make everybody just a little bit better each and every day.
1: Oh, it's wonderful. I know a few of the people. So they're (laughs) Um, Hans and Jennifer. Yeah, they're fantastic. I love them and some others that are on there, but wow, you are, I mean, I am really excited for you because one, your book is, everybody's going to need that. So you're, you're already in the part where you're, you're editing it.
2: I'm not, I'm, I just have a couple more chapters to finish. And so I'm looking to be done at the end of this year and then, um, get it out in 2021.
1: Wow. Well, it'll be great. And I definitely love your podcast. Thank you. I can't wait to learn more what you're doing on Teach Better Team. And, and, you know, connect with that. We'll put all of the links. And I always put up, you know, a post together. And I know you're going to help me with that. Oh, most definitely. (laughs) This has been wonderful. You're, You're just amazing.
2: Oh, thank you, Barbara. I feel the same way about you.
1: Well, it's just mutual. (laughs) society here (laughs) i just uh to me i just you know when you find some people and and you go i just need to know more i had no idea (laughs) when i (laughs) when you started telling me some of the things i'm like is he for real five kids and he's doing this and this and this so keep doing what you're doing and keep smiling you're just Just a wonderful person. Thank you, Barbara. And I I am so grateful you were here. Thank you so much, Josh, for being with me today.
2: Oh, it's a true honor to be with you.
1: This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning podcast and my conversation with Josh Stamper. Make sure you check out the blog post that goes with this podcast, All About Josh, on my Rethinking Learning website, it includes his story, his family, trauma-informed practice, his podcast, the Teach Better team, and more. You can subscribe to my website at barbarabray.net to receive announcements, updates, and you can even check out the guiding questions for my book, Define Your Why. I hope you subscribe to my podcast because we will be sharing ideas and stories during this crisis how we need each other more than ever, and all of our stories matter. So keep sharing your story, and please stay healthy and safe.